Wow, wow, wow. Well, hey, it's um, praise the Lord for all that he has given to us and um, just um, so many things to be thankful for. You know, anniversaries um, are sometimes we think of it as, oh, it's a burden. You know, I have to remember this and I forget it and I got to buy flowers or whatnot. But it's really a time to remember and uh, just of God's goodness. And I um, am grateful for um, Pastor John and all that he's been doing you know, just the fearless steps he's taken. You know, when I called him, when he was single nine years ago, um, uh, just finishing his THM in Boston, I said, I'm going to start a church. You want to come? And I said, I guarantee you nothing. I said, I, 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 you may not get paid. I guarantee you nothing, but you want to come? Let's do it. And he came. Um, he's like, sure, you know. Um, but God had, you know, his wife here for him. He met Verona at Crossway, and, you know, and, just, and God's been using him. And then just our um, staff, uh, that's behind the scenes doing so much, and obviously Sergio's in there, and Peter, and um, and then all of the people that started at our night service, you remember that? Um, we were in that freezing room um, that had like 300 seats, and there was like 20 of us trying to spread out, you know, strategically, and um, meeting in homes, and uh, yeah, another year of God's goodness. And then just this past year, right, of all the... Um, new friends that God has brought to our church, um, that God is um, saying, you know, this is your new chapter, you know, this is the church, this is the community you're going to be in, and um, how God has um, brought all of you um, and all the uh, communities and the friendships and the prayers and everything that's been offered in this place. I, uh, what a blessing it is, and, um, you know, just thank God for everything. And today, you know, we're continuing our look on this concept of love, how important love is. And we want us today to be reminded of what is important, that love is very important. Specifically, love being displayed in the gift of hospitality, right? Um, to welcome someone, to go and welcome the stranger. I mean, how important that is. And we look at our text today, and it talks about that last week. I know Pastor John preached on loving the enemies. And today we look at something that seems so subtle, that seems so um, insignificant, you know, hospitality. But really, it is one of the most spiritual things we can do. And you make a difference by going to someone and welcoming them and offering a place for them to come and to be heard and to be known. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. We don't notice it right away, but it does. And so I want to share with you about that. And in our text today, um, kind of two parts is why should we... Demonstrate love. Why should we do this? And Peter talks about this. Why should we do this? And then the second part is how should we do it? What does it look like? Right? And so we're going to kind of go into those two parts um, today. Why should we? Well, the first reason we ought to is because he says here it's the end times. Uh, you look at verse 7 in your, in your reading today. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for, for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. So when you first read this, it sounds like doom and gloom. You know, it sounds like, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town. You better, you better be good. Like, he's coming back. You better be good. And is that what he's really saying? Um, Wayne Grudem and a lot of other uh, wonderful commentators, but Wayne Grudem writes about this in his commentary. About, it's not what it is. It's talking about the last age we're in. So he talks about the redemptive history. And let me just stay with me here a little bit. It sounds so technical. But really, what he's saying is we're in the church age. And because we're in the church age, the church ought to love. Like you're in this age. This is what you're here for. This is your stage. 
whereas there was creation, there was the fall, there was now the exodus, there was the kingdom of Israel, and there were all these redemptive things that had happened in history. You know, Christ's birth, death, resurrection, ascension, um, and then the pouring out of God the Holy Spirit. And then the last age was, is now the age of the church. So the, what he is saying here is the end of all things is at hand. What he is encouraging us to do is saying, this is the stage you're in. This is the privilege that you have. Enjoy this. Live it out. Um, in every life stage, shouldn't you want your, you know, to be lived out fully? You know, and I, I uh, my, my girls are in 10th and 6th grade, and I talk about it often, and they're here, and so I can't um, talk about it too much because they get embarrassed. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I always say, you know, I say to my wife when I see them, I'm like, oh, man, how fun, like, how exciting. You know, this is such a good time in their lives. Like, they need to really enjoy this time. Right? And we say this often, right? And how, um, when we think about now, he's saying, you're in the church age, you're in this last chapter of history, of God's redemptive history. You're in this last chapter. You are part of the church, the bride of Christ, this agent of God that is going out to share God's love. Now you ought to love. And so the reason that why should I love is because we're in the church age. The church's role is to love. Love one another. Love the world. Love God. That's what the church is called to do. And we're a part of this. So what a privilege it is that we are in a part of this. And we ought not to neglect that. But we ought to love. We ought to show hospitality because we're the church. This is what the church is called to do. The church is called to love the neighbor, love each other, love God. And so we have to do that. It's, um, uh, how sad would it be for us to live in this wonderful church age life, in this part of history, and say, gosh, I, I missed the whole point. You know, I wish I could have loved more. I wish we as a church would have loved more. And we don't want to have that regret. The second reason um, we're called to love and show hospitality is that love is preeminent. Love is number one. You know, love is the greatest of all. Right? I mean, isn't that true? It doesn't, I don't have to quote Bible verses to convince you of that. We know that. But what does the Bible say in verse 8? Above all. Above all. All means everything. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Above all, make it the highest priority. It is the greatest thing you can do. Um, that we ought to love in this way. You know, the Bible talks about this often as love being preeminent. 1 Corinthians 13 that we know so well. Uh, verse 1, 2, and 3, before we get to the love is patient, kind, good, and this, uh, before we get to the description of love, we see the preeminence of love. And it says this in verse 1, 2, and 3, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. He says, without love, your faith is nothing. Your knowledge is nothing. It's all about love. Right, Jesus, when he's asked by the scribes, what's the greatest of all the commandments? Right, we know this so well from Mark chapter 12. Jesus says, you, know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, he, he summarizes it with what is above all. They wanted to know technicalities about the Sabbath. They wanted to know technicalities about marriage, how you ought to tithe and how you ought to... No, he says it's just love. 
If you do anything without love, it says it's a failure. Think about your family life. Right? Think about your uh, relationship, your loved ones, okay? Um, your husband, your wife. Think about that. Now, or some of you are not married yet and you're thinking about... I mean, isn't the number one thing you want in any relationship, in your marriage, romantic relationship, isn't it love? Now, the older we get, we might get a little more practical and, you know, oh, you need this, you need this, you need this. But really, ultimately, I mean, isn't that the, the ultimate thing that we want is love? And it's, if I have a family with a wonderful thing and a wonderful, you know, experiences, but if we don't love each other, isn't that a waste? I mean, the movies tell us this, you know, um, all the cartoons, movies, you know, uh, whether it's, um, you know, uh, you know, Pocahontas or whatever it is, it's all about love. I think about the, the Titanic, remember Rose, you know, she was supposed to marry this rich guy who had everything, but who does she go after? Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, he has nothing. He's a stowaway, and he's freezing in the water for her, you know, on the Titanic because there was, she would say, it's all about love. And we, you know, and some of you were teenagers, some of you weren't around when that was out, but you were like, that was, that is, that is so beautiful. Because they had love. She found love. So love is the greatest. That's all, that's part of our humanness. That love is greater than riches, love is greater than knowledge, love is greater than ability. If I could have love, a life filled with love, if I could have a church, a church filled with love, if I could have friends that love me, if I could have love in my life, if I could love God, boy, that is a success. And so we ought to be loving in this way. Thirdly, is love has this power. Love has the power to cover a multitude of sins. Love covers it all. Right? It says here in... Um, in our text in verse 8, since love covers a multitude of sins. Why should we love? Since love covers a multitude of sins. All types of sins, love covers it, right? Um, the big sins in our lives, the big sins, someone commits a crime, someone, you know, is, is caught guilty of doing something, the big sins, verse, and even the little sins, the little pet peeves that drive us crazy. That guy, you know, always chews with his mouth open, drives me nuts, you know, is that a sin? I don't know, you know, but it's offensive, or that guy smells all the time, and everyone knows but him, or, you know, he drives so slow when I'm behind him, and he drives too fast behind me. We have all these little sins, and we often, as Christians, sometimes we're very big, we're okay with the big sins. We're willing to go and hug and give stuff and pray for those who have maybe made big mistakes and say we ought to love them. Boy, some of us just struggle with the little things. They're not even sins, they're just pet peeves, and we struggle with that. We say, I don't know what to do. I can't stand this. I can't stand that. They drive me crazy. I don't want to see them. And what, what does love do? Love covers all of that, big and small. It covers all of it. I mean, how do we, those of us who have siblings, right? How many of you have siblings? Just siblings. You have siblings. So you know. You love your sibling. But at one point or another, you wanted to strangle your sibling. Like, you know, we all had that mixed. I wanted to strangle but love them. You know, like hug and then just really punch them. You know, like there was that mixed. Um, what covers that? I mean, you think about your parents and my parents. How did they raise us? Is it because we were perfect? No, it was love that covered the multitude of sins. So he tells the church here that love covers all these sins. This is Peter. This is Peter who personally experienced this. He denied Christ three times. 
in public. I don't know him. And he wept bitterly when the rooster crowed. And he remembered, Jesus said, you're going to do this. And I still am going to love you. And he, now Jesus meets him on the seashore and he tells him now. And restores him. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And so he is, his life is radically changed by the love of Christ. And now he is passing along that message to us. It covers a multitude of sins. Has someone flaked on you? Has someone, you know, ripped you off? Has someone done this? Love covers a multitude of sins. We ought to understand it. So how should we love? Um, first of all, and it tells us here that we ought to love earnestly. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Um, we should love in an earnest fashion. The word earnest here um, is translated from a word that means to be stretched in the original language, um, to, uh, to have tension, um, to be stretched. Um, it means it's difficult. It means there's a strain. And so when we consider loving someone, it is costly. There is no casualness to love. I mean, the, it, it, just by definition, you can't casually love someone, right? And sometimes you see someone that's maybe, you know, a perpetual, they're in a dating relationship because they don't want to be stretched too much. They don't want to be in this kind of commitment. It's just casual. It's convenient. But really, that's not love. Love is something that stretches us, something that costs us, something that is difficult. And so when we are called as a church to love God, we got to ask, what does that cost me? How does that stretch me? If we are called to now love my neighbor, what is that? how does that inconvenience me? If I'm called to love one another, how does that affect my pride? How should I give up my pride? And we want to demonstrate love. Um, we love to do crazy things for those we love, don't we? I mean, um, we, we love to go and demonstrate it. We, we want to go show this. You know, you see this. This is very evident. Uh, if you've ever been to... Uh, uh, babies, especially a Korean baby's one-year birthday party. I mean, this is just madness, right? You think about it. Um, people are spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, and they're inviting everyone they know to come celebrate the life of this child who doesn't remember this moment and can't speak at that time and um, doesn't want to be there. They kind of don't want to be here. Only ones who are excited are the grandparents, you know. Even as parents, sometimes you really don't want to be there, but you got to be there, Right? Um, and we, we go crazy, and there's this, and we, we hire people to do this. Why? Because I, we, I love them so much. You know, I think about my daughters. I love them so much that I, I just want to do something for them. They, 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 it's too much, but it's okay. I just want to go overboard. And when we love someone, we want to do that. And so it, it's love earnestly. Secondly, we have to love as a lifestyle. We should do this for the rest of our lives. I hope this defines your life. We ought to be doing this every day of our life, every season of our lives, uh, until God calls us home. We ought to be doing this. This ought to define what success is in your life. It's loving people. It says here in verse 8, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep doing this. The ESV translates it well. It's, it's in, the, in the original language. It's in the present tense. And all the Greek scholars will tell you when, when these verbs are in the present tense, it's a continual action. But keep doing this. Continue to do this. Make this a lifestyle. Don't do it for a season. Don't do it for this time. Don't do it because you are required at this time. But it's a part of who you are. 
But in this stage, whoever God brings into your life, you will love them. You will welcome them in this way. Um, and maybe you've, you know, are just kind of jaded. Maybe you're just hurt. You know, maybe you feel like, man, it's just, it just not worth it. But I want to tell you it is. If you have an opportunity to love someone, if you have an opportunity to teach that to your children, if you have an opportunity to love your spouse, to love someone next to you at church, don't let that go. Uh, we ought to be loving people in this way. The last thing is really the highlight today is that we ought to be making room to love others. It's called hospitality. We ought to continually make some kind of space in our lives. When we think of, often when we think of hospitality, we think of um, you know, um, having someone over, having them in our living room and spending time with them. And it could be having space in our homes, but really it's just having space in our lives, having some time set aside to love them, to love them in this way. Um, verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why does it say without grumbling? Because it's saying it's not easy. To love a stranger is not easy. To make, you know, to, to have them infringe in my personal time and space is not easy. So he says, don't grumble about it. You know, you take someone out to lunch, don't complain about it. You know, you welcome someone into your home, don't complain that they made a mess. You know, you, you are to love them and show hospitality in this way. The word hospitality, it's, it's a two words that are put together in the Greek. Philo, or you get Philadelphia, it's love, right? Brotherly love. Uh, uh, love, xenos, it's a word that means stranger. Um, to love the stranger. That's hospitality here. So to love someone who is different, love someone who I don't know, love someone who I am unfamiliar with, this is hospitality. This is what the church is called to do. Love someone who is outside the walls. Love someone who is different than you. It is tempting for us to gather in just circles that we are comfortable in and just say, I want to just close this off. I just really want to close this off. You know, I'm just, I'm just really good with my 10 friends and my family. Like, if I could just have this for the rest of my life, this is all I want. But the church says, oh, let's open up the walls. Go and show hospitality in this way. You know, hospitality is fundamental in our love for others. You know, the, the church leaders are called in Titus, you know, 1, 8, to be hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, right? That uh, Romans 12, 13 commands every Christian to practice hospitality. So it doesn't matter, you know, if you are friendly, you like people or not, or as you shared, if you're an introvert or an extrovert, it doesn't matter. He says, as a Christian, you ought to practice hospitality towards others. Um, and it's done in simple ways. It's done by you making a little bit of space, a little bit of margin in your life for someone to be able to come into. Um, Larry Osborne uh, shares in his book, Sticky Church, he talks about how every leader in the church, every member in the church is like the bottom piece of the Lego board. You know, um, some of you, you had that and some of your kids play that and it's the bottom piece and you stick everything else on top and you make a, you know, whatever you want to make on top and you put it on there. He says, all of us, our, our Lego boards are full. And when we are full, when someone new comes in, there's no space, they need to attach somewhere. You know, when they come into the church, they want to attach somewhere. They need to find somewhere, someone I could identify. And it's all of us are just saying, oh, I'm so full. My Lego board is so small, I'm so full. 
I've got something every night of the week, and it's so full. I want to challenge us to say, let's not be so busy. Because most of our busyness is filled with stuff that is for me. To have some margin where I could say, yeah, I could go meet up with you. Yeah, I could go buy you lunch. I could have a little bit of margin with my money, with my time, whatever it is, um, so that I could go and say, I could be hospitable towards you. Uh, there was research done by LifeWay uh, Research Group, and they uh, um, asked 15,000 adults um, who don't go to church, and they asked them, how would you, uh, what would um, be the best way for someone to invite you? And they had all these options on what would be attractive to you, you know, a concert, if the church did this, or if the church had a program for your kids, what would be, and 67% said the number one thing that would get them to a church is a simple invitation by a friend. Just someone say, hey, you want to come? And when we think about that, we think, that's so easy. But for us to say, hey, you want to come? Hey, our church, you know, you should come check it out. You want to come with me? You want to go? And it's just something that simple that makes a difference. And so we have to go and be more hospitable. Uh, Henry Nouwen says this about hospitality. Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space, where the stranger could come and enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. And Tim Keller says something very similar. He says to um, have someone over to your house, to listen to their problems, to meet someone new in your neighborhood and invite them into your house and just listen to them. Just welcome them. And he says, that's not social work. That's not counseling. That's not spiritual direction. You're not a trained spiritual director. You're not a trained counselor. There's no technique involved. It's just common. It's just getting together over a meal. Yet God could work powerfully in that. Uh, who's been hospitable to you? Uh, who's been welcoming to you? You know, now in our Yelp age, everyone is yelping, even the church. Are they friendly or not? You know, are those people nice or not? But the question is, are you hospitable? Are we hospitable? Are we welcoming? We all grew up, and the ones who have made the biggest difference are those who have been loving to us in that way. I had two friends growing up, and I come to mind. Um, one friend, um, I remember his family... Um, just had a humble little house, but we'd go over, and his mom would always cook for us. It was like a, just, you know, as soon as we came, she didn't even ask, do you want to eat? She would always start cooking. And she goes, Steve, sit down and eat. And whatever that was, they would just eat, you know, and sometimes it would be whatever it is. I remember once they ran out of food, she ordered pizza because we, she had to feed us. But the house was kind of humble. The furniture was, nothing was impressive, but, man, I love going there. And then I had this other friend, um, and I'd go to his house, and he had a big fancy house. It was a brand new house. It was built brand new, they would tell me. And the floors, I remember, I was like, wow, this floor is different. It was like marble. And back then, everyone had carpet, right? So I was like, wow, this is um, like a palace. What is this? And we'd go over, and he would say, you got, don't touch the fridge. Like, he goes, don't touch the fridge. And I was like, you know, you're 16. And I'm like, you always want to eat. I'm like, what? Don't touch the fridge. So we couldn't touch the fridge. And so after a while, I had had to leave because I was just thirsty. Like, I got to get some, I got to go. <laughs> I got to go, I'm sorry. I, and I still remember they had, they had bought a brand new sofa. 
And it was from Italy, he told me, and he said it was $10,000. Right? $10,000 in the 1980s. I mean, that was, you could buy a Honda Accord with $10,000 in the 80s, right? It was $10,000. He says, and he says, you can't sit on it. Right? That was the rule. I kid you not. So he said, Steve, don't sit on it. I said, well, I took a shot. Don't sit on it. And um, so, you know, I'm sitting on it, man. And then, you know, the mom would come, and I would just be like, oh, man, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to step on their floor. I felt like I was, you know, I didn't go in the kitchen. I'm not sitting on your sofa. I'm not going to use the restroom. I'm just, just standing right here, you know. <laughs> and some of us, we're so caught up in everything being perfect. We need to have some kind of control over this. Sometimes um, it's sad, but, you know, some churches, it's all about that. And how does it look? But really, it's about the people. What are we feeding them? Um, are they leaving this place full? Are they leaving this place welcomed? Versus, are we impressing them? Look at this. Don't touch this. Look at that. Don't touch that. This is X amount of dollars. And are we trying to live a life just to show off? Or are we living a life where we say, hey, I want to welcome you. Come on over how important that is. There was one Gallup poll that said um, that studied Americans and um, their social interactions and the conclusion of it I read was that Americans are among the loneliest people in this whole world. In this whole world, we're surrounded by people yet we're so lonely. And I wonder if we as a church can go out and say, hey, come on over, let me get you something to eat. It's our, you know, our church is not that impressive. We meet at a school. Come on over. You know, check it out. Hey, come over to my house. Come over for our group. Our group's not perfect, you know. There's some strange people in our community group. It's all right. Come on over. You know, let's hang out. I'm one of the strange ones. Come on over. Um, I wonder what it would look like. I wonder what kind of impact the church could have. Um, and I close with this story. Dr. Norman Geisler. Uh, Norman Geisler is, uh, if you're in kind of the seminary circles and, uh, or you're into Christian apologetics, he, in this past generation, is the, probably the top thinker. He's written over 100 books about apologetics and theology. Um, everyone that is in that field looks up to him and reads his books. He has taught at Dallas Seminary, Trinity Seminary, uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary, a bunch of places all over the world. And he shares about his... Uh, testimony of how he came to Christ. And this really floored me when I heard him share this. He remembers as a child, his parents never went to church. And the local church where he grew up had a vacation Bible school. So he went to that. Um, his, he said his parents were one of those parents that didn't go themselves, but they said, you could use some religion, you know, like go, you should go. And he went to that. And he said he enjoyed it. He felt loved, he liked it, and he wanted to go back to church. But his parents wouldn't take him. But someone at the church said, hey, Norm, if you want to come, I can pick you up. And he, and he asked his parents, and the parents were like, yeah, that's good for you. You should go. Um, and so he started hitching a ride in the church van every Sunday. In his senior year in high school, he accepts Christ and asks Jesus to be the Lord of his life. He becomes a Christian. He calculated it took 400 Sundays 400 rides from his house to church, from church back to his house. Same person, most of the time, 400 times picked him up and took him back. Someone made some room for this child. This child had no money. This child didn't have an influential family in the church. They didn't have to look out for them. It was just some random kid. And someone was hospitable towards him. 
and it made such a difference. I think about us. We don't know who we are. We don't know the strangers. We don't know who we are welcoming. We don't know who God is going to bring to our church. But we want to open up that space and let people in. Jesus Christ was hospitable towards us. He says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And he said, I'm going to take you with me. You are going home. He says, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. He's showing hospitality towards us. This is the gospel. And now we want to demonstrate this to others. And man, let's make our lives count. Small ways and in big ways. Private and in public and corporately at the church. Let's go and say, hey, come on over. Let me listen to you. Come on over. Let's spend some time. And let's demonstrate love in small ways. But let's walk away knowing that God will use that and God can make a difference through our efforts. So I look forward to another year. I hope this upcoming year we will continue to invite our friends, our neighbors, to the church, to hear the gospel, to our groups, into our lives, and see what God will do and who God will now raise up out of those people. So we look forward to that. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. What a... um, Lord, wonderful year it has been, and God, we are grateful to you. And Lord, we look at your word in 1 Peter, and we are just moved to love. We're just encouraged to do this. And we want to show hospitality to those around us. God, you know us, God. We're, We're selfish. We want control, God. Our time is limited. We're all tired and busy and all of that. And that is so true, especially today. But God, it is still worthy of us to do this. And so, God, would you teach us to do that again? This year, I pray that our church would be known as a church that is loving, welcoming, a space for people to come and be changed by the gospel. And I pray that is the same for our personal lives as well. Help us to love others in that way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.